as a family we join hands together. Noting praises to the Father above for sending His Son. We've chosen together as a family to serve Him forever. Knowing nothing else will matter in time, we've made up our mind. Through the heat of the day, we will join in the fight till He takes us away, till our faith becomes sight. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We stand here together. As a family, we join hands together. Lifting praises to the Father above. For sending We've chosen together as a family to serve Him forever. Knowing nothing else will matter in time. We made up our mind through the heat of the day. We will join in the fight. Away till our faith becomes sight. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve Him. 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 As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's very brave to bring any person on stage who does not fully understand the impact of a YouTube video and a job interview? <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Some of you have been there. Well, moms, I'm so glad you're here today. And thanks again for honoring us with your presence. You know, the role that ladies have in the kingdom of God is truly extraordinary. They often make contributions that create a ripple effect in others. And in our second session of the series, we're going to consider today a lady named Rahab, a most unlikely woman of faith. Our text passage is in the book of Joshua, chapter 2. And I'm going to ask you if you're physically able to stand for the reading today in honor of the Word of God. 
I hope you'll get connected here in the passage. We're going to start reading in verse number 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came unto an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. It was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men and hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered in thine house, for they be come to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men and hid them, and said thus, There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. And it came to pass, about the time of shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out. Whither the men went out, I wot not. Pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof of the house and hid them with the stalks of flax which she had laid in order upon the roof. And the men pursued after them the way to Jordan under the fords. And as soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. And before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land. And that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what she did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side, Jordan, Sihon, and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now, therefore, I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that ye will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token, and that ye will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. And the man answered her, Our life for yours, if ye utter not this our business, and it shall be, when the Lord hath given us the land, that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. Then she let them down by a cord through the window. For her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. And she said unto them, Get you to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you, and hide yourselves there three days, until the pursuers be returned, and afterward may you go your way. And the men said unto her, We will be blameless of this thine oath which thou hast made us swear. Behold, when we come unto the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window, which thou didst let us down by, and thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of my house into the street, his blood shall be upon his own head, and we will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if any hand be upon him. And if thou utter this our business, then we will be quit of thine oath, which thou hast made us to swear. And she said, excuse me, according unto your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet line in the window. We're going to talk about Rahab this morning. Father, would you work in a special way in our hearts today? Such an unlikely lady who was used by you. And today in this room, scores and scores of unlikely people, people who can be used 
to your glory. And so I pray that you would grant us today mercy in delivering your word. Grant us power from the Holy Spirit of God. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you for standing through the reading. And I hope you attached to it this morning. Rahab was a woman who made an impact. And of all the mothers in the Bible, maybe an unlikely one that we would look at on this Mother's Day. You know, the fall of Jericho is one of the most interesting events in all of history. Jericho was a city-state. Like many of the ancient civilizations, they were large enough to have their own king. And most historians say that Jericho had between 1,200 and 2,000 people. Inside of the city walls, there was a lower portion of land that was nine acres, and then up above on the top of the city, there was another six or seven acres. The people of Jericho had their own government, but they weren't big enough that they were their own race. They were connected racially with a tribe known as the Amorites. And Amorites is one of those in the Bible that's listed in all of the ites, where God said they're going to be destroyed for their sin. The Amorites and the Jebusites and the Higites, and there's all kinds of ites. And if you read through the Bible passage, you'll see that. Jericho was a fortress against invasion. It was well constructed with a lower wall to guard an embankment that rose to the actual city wall. And flowing through the city was a spring where they were able to have water year-round. At the time the Israelites showed up, they had just gathered the harvest into the city. Rahab and her family lived in a dwelling that was inside of the wall. We just read that. We don't know how old Rahab was when the two spies arrived at her door, but we do know that she made an impact on many lives around her. And we want to see her life in four ways this morning in this passage. First, we see the reality of her situation. The notes are provided in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along with us as we go. The reality of her situation. Some Bible historians have said that Rahab ran a bed and breakfast. A small hotel there in Jericho. Well, look, this wasn't a Motel 6, okay? She left the light on, but for a whole different reason. She did not go with the Tom Bodet theory on that. <laughs> the Old Testament says some, of, some people don't even know who Tom Bodet is, so that did not work. Tom Bodet's the guy at the Motel 6 commercial that says, we'll leave the light on for you. You guys don't know that? Okay, I have to get with my screenwriters and... All right, you people are no fun, I'm telling you. The Old Testament says that she was a harlot. <laughs> the New Testament uses the Greek word porne to describe her. When we hear that root word, I think we can all figure out what Rahab was. That's not to demean Rahab, that's just to say, let's be real about her identity. And here came the spies to her house whether knowingly or unknowingly. Some commentators tell us that brothels in ancient times had markings or hangings that let people know what they were. And here the Jericho men came to serve their king. 
So what do we do with Rahab? Of all the people you would ever predict to have an impact for God, Rahab would be voted most unlikely to succeed. She's an Amorite, strike one. She was a prostitute, strike two. She was a liar, strike three. Even when she tried to do good to help the spies, she lied. It's easy for us in the 21st century, people who own multiple copies of the Word of God, to judge a woman who didn't have one word of Scripture, who was not born into the knowledge of God. She never attended Sunday school. She didn't have a God-fearing mother or father or grandparents. Rahab was messed up. She was an unlikely person when it came to faith. You know, it's easy for us to look around us and see people who are messed up. I just look around the room today. I mean, really, you should look around the room today. We are people who are messed up. There is nothing in us that is lovely before an almighty God. It's not one thing. In fact, the best that we have, the Bible says, is like a filthy rag for the righteous God. Unless we think that we're all that, turn to Revelation 21 and let's just go through the list and see who we are. Revelation's the final book in the New Testament, so turn all the way to the right. Revelation chapter 21 This pretty much sums it up. You say, well, I'm not here today as an Amorite, and I'm not a prostitute. And so I've done some pretty good things. After all, I'm in church on Mother's Day. Look at Revelation 21 and verse number 8. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Why did God have to go and put liars in the mix? And there aren't many murderers in this room. I don't really know of any. And I don't know if any of them who are would want to raise their hands. There's not many sorcerers here in the room today. But I stand firm on the fact that we're all liars. We're all liars. We're all messed up. We have issues. We don't have any redeeming qualities on our own before a holy and righteous God. That's who we're in the same boat. It's Rahab. But thank God, he specializes in using messed up people for his glory. Look back in the New Testament to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I love this passage. Because it lays out the authority of God to use imperfect people for His glory. But thank God that includes us. 
1 Corinthians chapter 1. There's an actual calling here. Some people who become a Christian, they think that they are called to be the next Billy Graham. That they are called to be the next big artist in the music industry, the Christian music industry. But God lays it out a little differently. Look at 1 Corinthians 1 verse 26. For ye see your calling, brethren. You've got to remember Paul's talking to the church at Corinth. This is the most gifted unit of people in any local church in the New Testament. They had gifts coming out their ears. You read in chapter 12 and chapter 14, they were gifted in ways that many other New Testament churches didn't even know about. And he said, your calling is how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. If you want a life first, here's one. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world. And things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. If there's anything good in your life today, it's because of God. If there's anything good in your life today, it's because of God. Please don't make me repeat myself. It is Mother's Day, and I'm trying to lay it out there in a concise way where you can get to the restaurant, okay? If there's anything good in your life today, it's not because of you. It's because of God. Amen. Well, looky there. I have come prepared to amen myself if I need to today. But thank you for chipping in. I appreciate that. Here's Rahab. Three strikes. Amorite, prostitute, liar. She's messed up. And yet God used Rahab for his glory. And we're going to see that. You know, if you're not thankful that the Lord uses messed up people, then you have the wrong view of yourself. You have too high of you, of yourself. The reality is that Rahab was a sinner in need of a Savior, just like every mother here today, just like every person here today. But then we see the reason for her service. So not only the reality of her situation, but the reason for her service. Rahab is mentioned in the great chapter of faith in Hebrews 11. It says, By faith the harlot Rahab... Perish not with them that believe not, when she had received the spies with peace. You know, Rahab was a woman of courageous faith. She risked everything because of what she had heard and believed. She didn't risk her life to get faith. She risked her life because she had faith. And there's a significant difference between those two. When she went up to talk to the spies on the roof, 
Look what she said. Let's go back to Joshua 2. I don't want you to miss this. <coughs> Joshua 2, back in the Old Testament again. We've got to do something to wake you people up. Had too big of a Mother's Day breakfast out there. All right, here we go. Joshua 2, verse number 9. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land. Now, if you're looking at your Bible right there in verse 9, how many of you see that all of the letters in the word Lord are capitalized right there? See that? If they're not capitalized in your Bible, you don't have a very good translation. Because the Hebrew word there is Yahweh. Okay? That's the name Jehovah. And all the letters should be capitalized in that word. And Yahweh is a name, and it's a special name. It was the covenant name that God had with His own people. Nobody else even knew this name. This was a name that God had to reveal to His own people so that they could call Him this. And the Jews for centuries would not even write the whole name out. They'd write one letter and then the blank. Because this was such a special name. The name Jehovah. Rahab calls their God Jehovah. Not just in verse 9, but also in verse 10. And also in verse number 11. And also she says in verse 12, Swear to me by Yahweh. Swear to me by the covenant God, Jehovah, that you're going to save my family alive. How did she know that name? Unless God himself had revealed it to her by faith. There are times in the Bible where God revealed himself and his name to people. There was another unlikely woman. You may remember her. Her name was Hagar. Hagar was an Egyptian handmaid that they brought out of Egypt. And look back into Genesis, and I want to see her life just quickly here this morning. Just a thought on her life. Going back to Genesis, get there to chapter 16. Sarah, Abraham's wife, couldn't have children. If you've ever read Genesis, you know the story on this. They were both way up in years. She couldn't have kids. And so she said to Abraham, her husband, Abraham, here's my handmaid. Go into my handmaid and have a child with her. And Abraham did. The Bible says in Genesis 16, 4, And he went unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. So she began to treat Sarah like she was Abraham's wife. And that's a bigger story that we could even get into this morning. She ran away. And when she ran away, verse 10, the angel of the Lord met her. The angel of the Lord. Some people think this is a theophany. It's an earthly appearance of Jesus Christ. The angel of the Lord told her she was with child and said to call his name Ishmael. Said he's going to be a wild man. Now look at verse 13. And she called the name of the Lord. See it's all capitalized there. That spake unto her. Thou God seest me. She called the name of the well 
Thou God seest me. And the name of the well became Beer Lahiroi, which is the well of him that liveth and seeth me. Hagar was given God's name by God. Just like the covenant people and just like Rahab. And so Rahab called him by his covenant name. Because she believed in the God of Israel and she served the God of Israel. And here this unlikely lady had a greater faith than most of the people on the other side of the Jordan River that had seen God work miracles. She said, the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. And her works were just an expression of the faith that she already possessed. That's why James lists her in the same passage, James chapter 2, where he speaks of the faith of Abraham. There were people on the other side of the river who knew all the commandments. They knew when and where to sacrifice. They knew how and when to keep the Sabbath day properly. They expressed faith, but they weren't really willing to risk anything. See, they expressed faith with their mouth, with their words. They said, we believe you, God. But their actions said, we don't believe you. We're going to murmur, we're going to complain, we're going to doubt at every turn. And Rahab's actions said, yes, I do believe. What about us? Rahab risked everything because of her faith. What do we risk to follow Christ? The New Testament says authentically following after Christ means that we forsake all to go after him. It means we deny ourselves and we take up the cross and follow him. Having the right information about Jesus Christ won't get you to heaven. It takes authentic faith. And authentic faith produces practical, authentic works. Now folks, Jesus didn't come and give his life for us to play it safe. You know where the safest place for an airplane is? It's in the hangar. Right? Where's the safest place for your car? In the garage. The safest place for a ship? In the harbor. But you didn't buy a car to keep it in the garage. You bought it so that you can use it to go about your business. The Bible says that Jesus purchased us with his own blood. Not so that we could sit idly by and do absolutely nothing and waste our lives. He bought us with such a high price so that he can use us to go about his father's business. It alarms me when people claim to be Christians, but they never step out and serve God in any way at all. We live in the most selfish, narcissistic generation in the history of the earth. And people aren't willing to step up to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. When service is simply proof of faith. That's what it is. We live in a generation where people think that saying they care is enough. It may have started with Bill Clinton, I don't know. He said that he cared and every human being in the United States thought he was compassionate. 
And sometimes we say that we have concern, and we say that our intentions are good, and we think that's enough. For example, a few weeks ago, you may have seen this in the news, a terrorist group in Nigeria called Boko Haram kidnapped over 200 girls from a Christian school in Nigeria. People all over the world have expressed outrage. Even the First Lady of the United States uh, had her picture taken holding up a sign that says, Hashtag, bring back our girls. Now, I'm not even trying to be political here. I want to make a point about our Christian service. You know, most people think that because the First Lady held up a Twitter sign that shows she cares, that she's done enough. But that sign, I'm just being brutally honest here, that sign doesn't do anything to help any of those girls. It does absolutely nothing to help any of those girls who were kidnapped. Not a thing. You know, all the best intentions in the world have never changed a life. Many people here today have the best intentions, but you won't step up to service. And service is more than a sign. It's more than concern. It's showing up and taking a risk by faith. Serving will make you vulnerable. It's going to open up your heart to be mistreated by those around you. As you invest in the lives around you, it's going to cost you more than time, more than effort, more than resources. Sometimes you're going to be criticized, maligned, lied about, and there's a risk in serving. But you know, living by faith is the greatest life there is. It is the highest joy. And when we risk, God rewards. When we live by faith and we serve the King of Kings... God rewards that. It's amazing, the life of Rahab. It's easy to sit up in the stands and critique her down in the arena there. And to say, well, if I were down there, I I would have told the king's men this. Or I would have done this with my life. It's easy to sit up in the stands and look down on the arena floor and criticize the people who are down there. We have a lot of great Christian Monday morning quarterbacks. The NFL draft just happened this week. And there are a lot of people who are criticizing their team's pick. And boy, they messed up with that pick. How many of you even know what the NFL draft is? Okay, that's what I thought. It's probably not. I'm going batting zero on the illustrations today. You know, it's easy for us to look at other people's lives and say, boy, he should do this, she should do that. How'd they do that? Why'd they do that? But God wants us to get into our own shoes and live for His glory. To actually serve. That's what Rahab did. And so the reason for her service. But then we see the representation of her salvation. The representation of her salvation. In verse 14, there in Joshua 2. The men promised their life, their lives for her life. She let him down the wall by a cord or a thick ribbon from her window. And she whispered down to him, down on the ground, she's up on the wall, and she said, get to the mountains before they find you. And she told the spies how to hide out. Kind of funny, huh, that she told spies how to hide out. 
You people are seeing irony in nothing here. She was a prostitute, and she told spies, spies, how to hide out. Isn't that funny? It's ironic, right? She told them how to hide out. And and then the spies, though, they didn't go hide out. They looked back up at her in the window, and they said this. Look at verse 17, Joshua 2. The men said unto her, We'll be blameless of this thine oath, which thou hast made us swear. Behold, when we come into this land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window, which thou didst let us down by. And thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house from the street, his blood shall be upon his head, and we will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if any hand be upon him. And if thou utter this our business, then we will be quit of thine oath, which thou hast made us to swear now, these spies remind me a little bit of my Uncle Tom. And I told my Wednesday Bible study about him a few weeks ago. My Uncle Tom is notorious in game playing. He is notorious in game playing at telling you the rules after you've already started the game. He is notorious at telling you the rules after they start the game if the rules are to his advantage or to your disadvantage. Right? So you've got this new game, and Uncle Tom, let's play the game, and you get about a third of the way into the game, and he pulls out the rule sheet. And he says, oh, I forgot to tell you a rule. If you land on that one, you have to go back to blah, blah, blah. I told you this, I forgot to tell you this rule. If you land on such and such three times, you're out of the game. Oh, this was your third time. Oops. Right? He adds rules halfway in the game, and it doesn't really make anybody but him happy. I think these spies are kind of like my Uncle Tom. She let him down already. She kept her end of the deal, and she put their boots on the ground, or their sandals on the ground, and they're down on the ground, and now they're talking back up to her. They're having this lengthy conversation and she's about to be caught by the king's men because they're down on the ground outside of the city saying, hey, one more thing, Rahab. Let's add another thing to the conditions. Oh, by the way, if you don't keep that line on the window, you're out. Oh, by the way, if you don't have everybody in the house together, you're out. Oh, by the way, if anybody at all hears what we're telling you right now, you're out. Like, they added all these conditions to it. And yet, look at what Rahab said in verse 21. She shouted back down, According to your words, so be it. My voice might have been a little too low there for a a woman. According unto your words, so be it. She said to them. I'm trying to, I'm really trying, it's almost like teaching kids life in here this morning. I'm trying to pull the attention out of you people. And yeah, it's really difficult. I don't know if we're going to have to do a dance or a jig or what. My wife's hoping no. <laughs> we were at the Brashear's house for dinner last night. <clears throat> and she began to tell people at a table about my dancing capabilities. Oh, that was very rude. She also, though, told a story about two twins. Right? Did everybody hear what I just said? She told a story about two 
twins. Right? Nobody gets that either. I'm telling you, you got that one? Two twins. Like there could be anything else. Right? Could there be one twins? Could there be three twins? No. Sorry, I got her back just now. Obviously, it was very effective. Very, very effective. She may have gotten the better of me on this one. So here the spies are. They said, keep the line in the window. That's how we know where your house is when we come back. Anybody in this house is safe. Anybody outside this house is doomed. And she agreed. She sent them away. And immediately, the Bible says, she bound the scarlet line permanently in the window. She tied it off, and it's not moving. And when people of Jericho walked by and said, what's that? She didn't have much to say, because she couldn't tell them everything that happened. And when the Jews crossed the Jordan River on dry ground, they came directly toward her window, probably, and there the scarlet cord was hanging in the window. You know, the scarlet cord hanging in the window was not the object of her faith. It was the evidence of her faith. There was nothing special about the ribbon. But there was something incredibly special about what the ribbon had represented. Salvation. And when the Israelites returned to take the city, that ribbon would highlight to them a people who were saved from destruction. We always want to be careful when we take an Old Testament example and make New Testament applications. But this scarlet cord definitely represents the safety that we have through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. When God sees the blood of Christ, we're at peace with Him. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Jesus said it this way in John 5. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. All those in Christ Jesus are saved. Everybody in Rahab's house is saved. But anybody outside of the house, they're living under condemnation. They're trying to do it on their own. Anybody outside that house had to stay safe on his own. And nobody could do it. You know, refusing to accept the sacrifice Jesus made for your sins puts the entire responsibility of making peace with God on you. If you die having rejected Christ, you will spend all eternity without Christ. Some would say that the scarlet cord is like believer's baptism. Baptism doesn't save us, but it shows others we've been saved. Once again, we don't want to get too heavy into types and symbols. New Testament doctrines aren't defined by Old Testament stories. But you know this example of faith that people like Rahab had can be great encouragement for us today. I want to see the rest of the story, the End of the message here, this fourth part. Look over to chapter 6 there in Joshua. Now, you got to check this out. This is so neat how this story finishes up, and maybe you already know the end. But look at Joshua 6. 
verse number 20. So the people shouted when the priest blew at the trumpets. And it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep, and ass with the edge of the sword. But Joshua had said unto the two men that had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house and bring out thence the woman and all that she hath as you swear unto her. And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her mother and her father and her brethren and all that she had. And they brought out all their kindred and left them without the camp of Israel. And they burnt the city with fire. And all that was therein, only the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and of iron, they put in the treasury of the house of the Lord. You know, because of her faith, Rahab's family and perhaps her friends were saved. If you're into Bible archaeology, you should look up the digs that have been done around Jericho. Some as far back as the early 1900s. And it's fascinating some of the things that have been found. A, a German excavation, a team went in from 1907 to 1909 on the north part of the city. And as they dug down and they found the ancient wall of Jericho, they found that there's a short, a short stretch of the lower wall that's still standing with rooms attached to it. So whether or not that was Rahab's house, the Bible indicates that she and all of those that were with her were carried to safety. One of my favorite things to point out in the Joshua 6 passage comes in verse 25. See, Joshua was born not as Joshua. He was born as Hoshea, the son of Nun. His original name in Hebrew was Hosea. But Moses gave him a new name. Moses said, you're not going to be called Oshia anymore. Your name now is going to be Yeshua. See, what's the difference? Well, Oshia, his old name, had a special meaning. Yeshua, his new name, here's what it means. The Lord is salvation. The Lord is salvation. The New Testament name, believe it or not, is Jesus. Jesus. Now I want you to look at verse 25. And Jesus saved Rahab the harlot alive. Catch that? Jesus saved Rahab the harlot alive. Can you put your name in there? Has Jesus saved you by his grace through your faith? Look further down in the verse. I love this. She dwelleth in Israel even unto this day. By the time this story was recorded in Scripture, Rahab had become a permanent part of Israel. She lived in Israel as a Jew. Until her dying day. She wasn't born a Jew, but she became an Israelite by faith. Now go to Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to see the rest of the story as we close. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew 1, 
gives the detailed genealogy, the earthly genealogy of Jesus Christ. Look at Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 5. And Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab. And Boaz begat Obed of Ruth. And Obed begat Jesse. And Jesse begat David the king. You know, Rahab's testimony grew after Jericho when she married Salmon. And they had a son named Boaz. Boaz, who in the Bible married a Gentile bride named Ruth. But that's another story. Rahab shows us how much individual faith can affect an entire family. She was a first-generation believer. And by her faith, her parents, her siblings, her relatives, and her own children were brought to faith. God rewarded her lineage in a very special way. Do you know Rahab is one of the four unlikely women listed in the genealogy of Jesus Christ? And there she is, Rahab, listed in the genealogy of Christ. Now, why was it you were saying you can't be used of God? What was it about you that's holding you back in serving God? If Rahab could be used by God, anybody can. We're all messed up people. We're not mistakers in need of correction. We're sinners in need of a Savior. We need more than a second chance. We need a second birth. And anyone who is born in Christ becomes a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You could be a new mom today through Jesus Christ. You could become a new person today through Jesus Christ. And that faith can make an impact on generations of people to come. So the question is, does Jesus have your heart today like he had Rahab's heart? Let's bow in prayer. As we bow, I want to ask you this today. Do you need Jesus in your life? Could you say, like the Bible says about Rahab, and Jesus saved Rahab alive? Is that your story? Is that your testimony? I don't know what your need is today. I don't know what's on your heart. We could take the Word of God and show you how you can know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Just come to us anytime during the invitation today or after the service or during the week. We'd love to show you the Word of God, how you can know Jesus. Today in our invitation, we're going to ask any mothers who would like to come to the front for a commitment prayer to come to the front. We're going to pray with all the mothers together at once. And so as Casey starts to play, moms, go ahead and come right down to the front and kneel or sit whatever your physical capability is. And let's have a commitment prayer for our moms today just as we get ready for baptism here. All right, so let's have any moms who want to come for a commitment prayer, just come right on up to the front and either kneel or sit on a seat.
can't make it up to the front, moms, we get it. We understand it. While we pray, let's, let's prepare for baptism as well, okay? Any other moms want to come for commitment prayer today? We'll, we'll, we'll give you time, no problem at all. Time to get here. God bless you. We sure do love you. We're glad you're here today. Moms, let me pray with you. Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful for our mothers. We're thankful for these mothers who are here today. God, you know the heart of every woman in the front of this room or out there in their seats. Every mother, you know her heart. You know whether or not she's your child by accepting Jesus Christ. And if there's a mother today without Christ, I pray that you would impress on her heart her need for salvation. I pray that you would be with these mothers as they teach, as they influence, as they love their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren. That you would be glorified in their lives in a very special way, that there would be a ripple effect of their faith into Christian community until Jesus comes. Thank you so much for what you've done for us on the cross. We're messed up people who need a Savior. We thank you for these dear ladies and their testimony before you today. Guide them in a very special way. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.